whether or not you're new to church, we're going to start in the book of Genesis because, like, the Bible doesn't start in the Gospels, in the New Testament. It starts in the book of Genesis. And so we're going to go back there, and we're just going to kind of walk our way through a little bit of the story that God has written for us to help us to understand where communion fits into all of this. Genesis chapter 1, as we heard about in the little reading, Genesis chapter 1 tells us about a great God who was very creative in all that he made, and he, in loving fashion, put Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden and said, this is what I've done for you. And they looked around and they said, man, this is crazy good. I mean, look at all this stuff. This could keep us busy for years taking care of all of this. And God said, oh, by the way, there's, there's one thing. There's a tree back there. I, I don't want you to eat off of that tree. Everything else is yours. And Adam and Eve enjoyed that garden for a while, not paying any attention to that tree until Satan came along. He said, hey, what's the deal with that tree? And he began to question God's goodness, began to question God's truthfulness. And eventually Adam and Eve decided, you know what, we, we can't trust God. Let's check it out for ourselves. And in that moment, they came to experience death, both physically and spiritually, a separation from God. And from that point on, as you begin to read the book of Genesis, you go, something's not quite right. It didn't take long before brothers are killing brothers, before God had to destroy the world with a flood, before God had to spread mankind out by making them speak all kinds of weird languages. And you see, like, righteous people getting drunk and doing things that they shouldn't. I mean, there's just some crazy stuff that goes on. Brothers selling brothers into slavery, and off they go into a foreign land. And at the end of Genesis, you go, man, this is God's story for us? Where's the hope in this? This just looks crazy. And in Exodus, God begins to uh, ask some details of someone, a man named Moses. Again, if you're not familiar with church, you probably at least heard the guy's name, Moses. And God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, I'm sorry, you got the wrong guy. Like, I'm not the PR guy. I don't like to talk. I don't like to be the center of attention. And God says, do what I asked you to do. And so he goes before Pharaoh, and he begins this sequence of events saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, uh-uh. And God says, okay. And God does a crazy miracle, one right after the other. And I want you, if you've got your Bibles, to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus and in the book of Exodus, um, we're going to be looking at chapter 12. Nine times, Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, uh-uh. God says, okay. And he does something. Nine times. We're in time number 10. And as we're in Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. Hold on. I'm not in 12. I'm in 7. That is not correct. Then the Lord said to Moses, he said to Moses that time too, but this time he said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, 
This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. So now, Moses is to not just talk to Pharaoh, but he's to talk to every household in Israel. So there's nobody left out. He says, I want you to address every single household, and they're going to do this in remembrance. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor, they're going to combine. They shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make a count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, if you, again, if you know the, the story of the, the nation of Israel and how they're going to get out of Egypt, this is in preparation for that. And they're take this little lamb, a year old, without blemish, that's been in the family for a while, hanging out together, 14th day of the month, kill this baby little lamb. This lamb is not just a symbol, but it is to be a go-between. It says, then, that take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it, and they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And then you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fashioned, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This is the very first time that Moses is saying to the nation of Israel, here's what's going to happen. I want you to do this in preparation for this, but here's what's going to happen. You've got to kill that lamb. You've got to put it on the doorposts of your house. And you've got to eat unleavened bread because when the time comes, you guys are going to have to get out of there pretty quickly. Make sure that every single one of you does this. So there's to be no member of a household that's not included in all of this. Then verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. Not only was this to be looking ahead, but this was to be looking behind. This is going to be an ongoing thing, year after year after year. So in preparation for this coming time, here's what I want you to know. But I want you to know this isn't the only time this is going to take place. Why? Look at verse 12. Gives us a little bit of why. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike at the, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. He says, I want you to understand. This is a sign to remind you that this particular lamb has stood in your place. 
You won't have to give up a firstborn. For everyone, though, that does not do this, I will come and I will execute judgment. And so as they begin to to think about this, it says, uh, verse 17, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought you your hosts out of the land of Egypt, and therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations of the statute forever. This ongoing feast of unleavened bread is even continuing today. And, and again, the unleavened bread we'll talk about in just a minute, but they continue to, to share this meal together. I want you to jump down uh, verse 30, 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. When this takes place, firstborn die, and they look around in the next morning, and all the firstborn are dead, and they say, man, if we don't get these Israelites out of here quickly, we are all going to be dead. So they they kick them out very quickly in verse 34. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they'd asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have whatever they asked. And thus they plumbered the Egyptians. God sent the nation of Israel out in haste. And again, he prepared them for this and said, I want you to have unleavened bread. You're not going to have time to make the leaven rise and all that kind of stuff. Like, get the unleavened bread. And so as they're on this journey now out of Egypt, they have this unleavened bread that they're cooking for seven days. It's in fulfillment of what he said. You're going to be cooking it for seven days, but you're going to do this ongoing year after year after year. You're going to have this feast of unleavened bread. Verse 39, they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they brought out of Egypt, for it wasn't leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and couldn't wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. And the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. We are at the end of the book of Genesis. And the nation of Israel had been in captivity for 430 years. And slavery had become so bad that they were forced to make bricks that they didn't even get the mortar for. They had to make their own mortar and they had to get all the stuff. They had to do it all themselves. And they cried out to God and God said, okay, I'm going to rescue you. But I need you to hear this. You're going to have to remember this because you're going to be prone to forget. You know, I, I can imagine the first Passover the first Passover was probably a wonderful Passover. Now, Israel wasn't exactly on good terms with God. I mean, if you remember, like they leave Egypt and what do they start doing? Like time after time. We don't like the food. We don't like the water. I mean, complaint after complaint after complaint. But they come to Passover and they remember. You remember the time when, when we were in slavery and we had to make these bricks and we cried out to God and God came and did these incredible things. And then he rescued us out of the land of Egypt and we are now free. We're free. And that first Passover meal must have been a special time for that generation as they remembered what God did on every behalf. And then the second year. And the third year. And the next generation, how do you think it went? Like, I wasn't there, but I can imagine the next generation saying, you know, I remember when my parents told me about when they got out of Egypt and all the great things that God did. 
And it wasn't that they weren't excited about it, but it wasn't a first-hand thing, was it? They just were passing on what their parents had told them. And you know, as you continue to read through the story of the Bible, you get to some of the kings and chronicles, and, and one of the kings, Hezekiah, he says, I mean, this was a, a really important thing, but we haven't been doing it like we should be doing it. I mean, God said we're supposed to do it every year, and we're supposed to do it in this way, and we're not doing it. Let's do it right. And Hezekiah brings them back to the Passover. Josiah, who is a very young king, he looks at all that they're doing, and he thinks, man, this ought to be the most glorious celebration that we've got in anything that we do. Let's do it like that. And they had the greatest Passover that they'd had ever since the beginning of the Judges. And yet, not too long after that, what do you find again? It's going, eh, it's okay. We can take it or leave it. Eh, not a big deal. And we have this tendency to forget. And then you come to the New Testament. And here's, here's what I want us to kind of think about as we come to the New Testament, because it's important that we understand this whole Passover thing. The New Testament doesn't begin the story of Passover. I have here in my hand, it's, it's a little script that each household is given. Uh, the, the leader of the household, it's not, they're not all like this. Some are real simple. This is a, a rather lengthy one, but I think it gives all of the important details. And a Haggadah is the telling of the story, okay? So the important part of this Passover Seder is to tell the story. And it begins here at the very beginning. It says the Seder is not just a series of prayers to be said quickly in order to get to the meal. It is a ritual that connects us to our past. The Seder, which means order, consists of 15 different steps. Over time, additional customs, songs, and hymns have been added. So you're going to see up on the screen up here an illustration of a Passover Seder. Now, I wish we could do it all together, but it takes a couple hours to do, so we're not going to do that, and I'm going to do the quick version, okay? But I want you, as you, as you see up on the screen here, I, I'll have some little pictures pop out, hopefully, that you'll be able to notice so that you know where we're going. But this whole thing begins with the lighting of some candles. Usually, the mother of the household lights the candles, and they begin with a, a time together of blessing, and then there's the explanation kind of of why we do this. This is kind of like the, the call to worship here, okay? It says, on this night, we retell the story of the exodus from slavery in Egypt, just as our people have done for thousands of years. We share this ritual with our children because it is written, you shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought you out of bondage. You shall observe this day throughout the generations as a practice for all times. So they go back to the Old Testament and they say, we're doing this today, and this happens in Jewish culture today. We're doing this because God told us to a long, long time ago. Then, after they've got the, the candle lit and they've got that kind of explanation, they take the first cup of wine. Now, I've got up here four cups, okay? Now, I don't, I don't want to misrepresent, but I've got four cups there's only one cup that each person gets, but they fill it four times. But for sake of illustration, this is cup number one, and I'll put it down, and then we can get cup number two, just so it makes sense, okay? So this is the first cup, and they raise this 
cup together and they explain that in the Passover story, God promises deliverance four times. Four times. He says, I will. Number one, I will take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Number two, I will deliver you from bondage. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And number four, I will take you to me for a people. As we drink the first of the four cups, we thank God for giving us life, for sustaining us and allowing us to reach this moment, and they all drink what's in the cup. So this first cup is, I will take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. A reminder that he is bringing them out. And then they wash their hands together. Okay? Now, those of you who know Scripture, what they do is they take this basin of water and a towel, and they pass it around. Now, you remember when, when in the New Testament, when they're having Passover together, Jesus takes a basin and a, of water and a towel and does what? He doesn't wash their hands. He washes their feet. And there's a little argument that goes on there. Put that in the context of it, okay? So they wash their hands together. And then the first thing on the Seder plate is this parsley, okay? Now they take this, this greens, and again, typically parsley, they take the greens and they dip it in salt water. They dip it in salt water to symbolize the bitter tears that were shed. And they recite together a blessing. And they eat this parsley that's dripped in, dipped in salt water. And then they pause and they tell the story. It says that the Torah says we are to speak these words before God and say, My father was wandering in Aramean. He went down into Egypt, sojourned there with few in number. He became there a great and populous nation. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and afflicted us and imposed hard labor upon us. And we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and God heard our cry and saw our affliction and our oppression. And he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with outstretched arms and with great signs and wonders. And they begin to recount the Passover story. This is what God asked us to do. We put the blood, we killed the lamb, all that kind of stuff. They, they begin to recount this. Now, as they do this, they have, uh, they have this second cup. Okay, I'm not going to grab it because I'll get it in just a second. But they have this second cup. And as they tell the story of how God brought them out, they have the ten plagues. And each time they, have, they talk about a plague, they take either their finger or a little spoon and they take some of the wine out and they tip it out. The, re the reason for that is we now pour 10 drops of wine to symbolize the 10 plagues upon Egypt. A full cup of wine is a symbol of complete joy. Though we celebrate our freedom, our cup cannot be filled because our freedom did not come without a cost. Each drop of wine that we pour out of our cups diminishes our joy. They recognize that their freedom was not without a cost. That it cost them something. It cost a lot. And so they, they talk about the ten plagues and the affliction that God brought. And then they recite this interesting little... Um, sometimes it's put into a song, but most of the time it's recited back and forth. The household leader will say part, and then the, the family will respond. So I'm just going to read a couple of them because it goes on. But 
The, the title of this is, It Would Have Been Enough. And the, the household leader says, How many are the gifts God bestowed upon us? Had God brought us out of Egypt and not divided the sea for us? And the household responds, It would have been enough. Household leader says, Had God, had God divided the sea and not permitted us to cross on dry land? And the household responds, It would have been enough. And they continue on through this until at the end, had he brought us to Mount Sinai and not given us the Torah, it would have been enough. Again, they're remembering all that God has done to bring them out and to make them his people. Then they do something that's very interesting. As we read in the Torah, it is commanded that you should eat unleavened bread, and for seven days there shall be no unleavened bread, no leavened bread seen with you. You shall tell your children in that day, saying, This is done because of, the, of that which God did for me when I came forth out of Egypt, for with a strong hand has God brought you out of Egypt. You shall keep this ordinance in its season year after year. And then they take this, this little napkin and Hopefully you can see it, but and thank you, Cheryl Jewell, for making this a few years ago. But this has three different compartments in it, okay? And there are three different matzah breads that are in there, exactly the same. They reach into the middle one, and they pull out this extra large saltine cracker. All right? It's not really a saltine cracker, but it's a matzah. And they, if you can't see it, this matzah has holes in it, okay? And it also has what looks like a whole bunch of scars in it. You may be able to put the, the two and two together, okay? But what happens is they take the matzah and they break it in half and they take half of the matzah and they put it inside of this linen napkin. And they put this linen napkin back inside of this little pouch like that and they save that for later this one the household leader goes out somewhere into the house and he hides this okay but we're gonna put it on a chair all right we're gonna put it on the chair over here and they save this until later now it says they take the middle of the three matzah and they break it into two. And by breaking, we signify hospitality and invite all who are hungry to join us. However, again, uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. But as you think about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son in the middle, take that out, and it's broken. And we'll come to this in just a minute. It's broken. And it's replaced back inside of this three-layer kind of little sandwich. And the one is hidden. Well, Jesus doesn't stop becoming God, doesn't he? Even when he came here to this earth, he continued to be God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet his body was broken for us. And the, the linen cloth, he's wrapped in a linen cloth, is to remind us of some things that are coming. Okay? But they don't know that. They're looking at this story as historical reference. We're going to remember. 
And so they continue on through the, the Seder. They fill their, their glass again. And then they, they have one of the kids ask four important questions. Now, they believe in their culture that asking questions is a healthy sign of freedom. Okay, so they encourage all through this Passover Seder for people to ask questions. This isn't a real formal event where you, you know, sit down, shut up, and be quiet. It's, hey, if you've got a question, you ask. But these four questions, very specifically, are handed to a child. First, they'll read them in Hebrew, and then they'll read them in whatever language, you know, here in the U.S. If they're having the Passover here, they would read it in English. And here are the four questions. Why is this night different from all others? Number one, on all other nights, we eat either leavened bread or matzah. Why on this night do we only eat matzah? Question number two, on all other nights, we eat all kinds of herbs. Why on this night do we especially eat bitter herbs? Question number three, on all other nights, we do not dip herbs at all. Why on this night do we dip twice? Question number four, on all other nights, we eat in an ordinary manner. Why tonight do we recline and dine with a special ceremony? These are the four questions that some child in the household asks dad, and then dad responds. Number one, we eat matzah because when our ancestors were told by Pharaoh that they would, could leave Egypt, they had no time to allow their bread to rise, so they baked hurriedly without leaving. We know as well in Scripture Leaven is representative of sin, and there's another hidden meaning there. Number two, at the Seder we eat bitter herbs to remind us of the bitterness our ancestors experienced when they were oppressed as slaves. Number three, at the Seder table we dip the food twice, once in salt water to remind us of tears shed in slavery, and then once in a sweet mixture to remind us that there is sweetness even in bitter times. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then number four, in ancient times... Slaves ate hurriedly, standing or squatting on the ground, but symbolically we lean and relax as we partake of wine and symbolic food. So there's an explanation of what's coming, okay? And then they take these one by one and they talk about them. First of all, the shank bone of a lamb. What's the meaning of the shank bone? says this roasted shank bone is the symbol of the Passover lamb, the lamb that was killed on that very first night. And each family would bring a lamb as an offering to remember the time when our ancestors were spared the fate of the Egyptians. This Passover was a reminder that God passed over the house of our ancestors in Egypt. Originally, one of the four questions asked at the Seder was not why do we recline, but why do we eat only roasted meat? After the temple was destroyed, sacrifices were abandoned, and so the question about eating only roasted meat at the Seder is now abandoned. And now they ask, why do we recline at the table? Okay, keep that thought in mind again as we, re as we enter into the New Testament. We'll talk about it in just a second. What's the meaning of the matzah? All right, now in this picture, there's, there's some little round pieces of matzah. That's going to come into play in just a second. There's another picture on the side of the matzah that I'm talking about over here, but they're going to make a little sandwich here in just a second, okay? Matzah is a symbol in their minds of poverty. 
The, remind, the reminder of a great haste in which the Israelites fled from Egypt. That's their reminder. But again, that God has a different symbol that he's going to help us to remember in the New Testament. And then, what about those bitter herbs? Now, there are some, usually, usually it's horseradish, but there, you can use any kind of bitter herb in the Passover Seder, but horseradish, and this is, in this particular instance, mixed with beets. What does it kind of look like? Brick, yeah. It looks like the bricks. It is to remind them of their bitter labor under Egypt. And they explain this before they move on in the Passover. Then comes the second cup of wine. Remember, they've, they've already filled up their cup. And they raise their cup together, and they say, we raise our cups and recall the second promise that God would not only bring them out of Egypt, but he would give them freedom. And they drink this second cup of wine. All right, so we're going to put that down. They wash their hands again, and they get ready for the next part. And they bless the bread together. They, bless, they have a special blessing. And then they come to this next part of the second dipping of that, that parsley. Now there's a special mixture. Each of us will take a bit of the, the, the herb and dip it into a mixture of apples, nuts, wines, and spices. That's a little different than dipping it in salt water, isn't it? That sounds kind of sweet. We acknowledge that life is bittersweet. The sweet taste of this, this herb symbolizes that no matter how bitter and dark the present appears, we look forward to better days. And they eat this mixture that they've dipped the second time into the sweet mixture. And then they take those little round, um, little round matzahs, and they used to mix in a little sandwich, they would make a piece of the lamb that was sacrificed, a little bit of this, uh, the matzah and a little bit of the bitter herb, and they would put it together in a sandwich, and it would... They would eat it all together, but it says again, the destruction of the temple by the Romans brought an end to this animal sacrifice. So our sandwich is only made with matzah and the bitter herb. So they have two of those little crackers. They put the bitter herb in the middle, and they eat that at this time. And then, um, and I'm not sure if this is just current or if this was in the original Passover Seder. That thing up there is supposed to be an egg, Okay. It's hard to tell from the picture, but they eat hard-boiled eggs flavored with salt water, a symbol of new life. Um, and then, this is, this is, I think, part that I was not aware of until someone explained to me the Passover. Um, John and Linda Kraft, some of you guys may remember them. But they have a, like a, a normal meal. They kind of pause the ceremony and they have a meal. Now, if you've been with Jewish folks, you know that their meal is not like going to McDonald's, right? I mean, there is food galore. And they put their spread out, and they eat their meal together, and it is a celebration of God setting them free. They eat like there's no tomorrow. And they celebrate all that God has done on their behalf. So they eat this meal together, and once the meal is finished, 
Then they have a little bit of fun. Remember there's some matzah that's hidden, right? They send all the kids out after the meal's over, all the kids out to find the matzah. And one of the kids eventually says, oh, it's on the chair. They go over and they, they get the matzah and they bring it to the leader of the house. Now, the, the Passover Seder can't continue until the matzah's found. So all the kids have to keep looking until it's found. If it takes 20 minutes, if it takes three hours, it doesn't matter. But this is the valuable piece. And so in order for the Passover Seder to continue, the head of the household has to redeem the matzah. They give the little child a gift, $5, $10, $20, whatever it is. They give them the gift for having found the matzah because this was the valuable piece that needed to be found in order to continue. And as they get this together, they eat to remember the Passover sacrifice. And they break it and they spread it around. Then they take the third cup. Cup number three. Together we take the third cup of, of wine, recalling the third divine promise to the people of Israel. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. So this cup is when? This cup is after the meal. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And they drink the third cup of wine together. Then they explain there's a cup in the middle that they don't drink. They set it up for Elijah. They believe Elijah is going to be the precursor to the Messiah. And they're still looking for Elijah. Book of all the Gospels explain to us Elijah's already come. John has come to prepare the way for the Messiah. But they missed that. And so they've still got that cup sitting in the, in the middle waiting for Elijah so that he can have a cup. And the child even runs to the door and opens the door to see if Elijah's come. Nope, hasn't come yet. They're still waiting. And then they have the fourth cup. This fourth cup is the cup of acceptance. As they come to the end, they can rest in the fact that they have been accepted into the family. They have been chosen as God's people and they are now given a task and it says here at the end as our Seder comes to an end we drink the fourth cup of wine this cup recalls our covenant with God and a task that will await us as a people called to service we're content in God's choosing of us and now we got a mission to accomplish after they drink their fourth cup of wine the Seder ends with next year in Jerusalem Next year, may all men and women everywhere be free. And they, their hope is that at some point, all of these Jewish folks that are in the U.S., that are in wherever in the world, that they will all be together to celebrate Passover where? In Jerusalem. That one day, all of Israel will be gathered together to celebrate together. And they're hoping next year is going to be the year. With those thoughts in mind, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn over to Luke chapter 22. And the guys who are serving communion today, if you guys want to come up and, and serve the communion together. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. 
Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb, you guys can go ahead and serve it while, the, while we're chatting here. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So we're setting the scene. They are at this first day. Remember the Passover meal together. The Passover Seder is the beginning of the seven days of the unleavened bread feast. Okay? So they came to the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So they go and they find a place. Jump down to verse 14. When the hour came, he did what? He reclined at the table. Again, as, as all of them do today, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There will be a day when Jesus gathers together all of his family together and he will eat the Passover with them again. I believe that's going to be the, the marriage supper of the Lamb when he's gathered together all those who are part of his family. He's not going to do it again until that time. Verse 17. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. So we're at the very beginning of the Passover Seder. He takes that first cup. He passes it around. He says, uh, I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread. All right, and this is before the meal. Okay? Do you remember when we took the bread before? What happened? We took this middle bread out of the middle. And we broke it. And Jesus is here with his disciples and he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they're going, what are you talking about? That's not what this is about. This is about remembering the time when God brought us out of Egypt and you're telling us it's about you? This is about you? I don't understand. And then verse 20. And likewise the cup after they had eaten. So which cup are we remembering? Number three. Anybody remember which cup that was? The cup of redemption. Jesus takes the cup of redemption, cup number three after supper, and he said, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. I'm going to be the one that will redeem you. And they're going, wait a minute. This is supposed to be about remembering coming out of Egypt. This is supposed to be about a Passover lamb. You're telling us this is about you? And I don't think, honestly, at this time, I don't think the disciples understood what he was talking about. They're going, okay, whatever. Like, you know, this is something that we've been doing for a long time, and you're going a little crazy with this. But, hey, you're the guy in charge. And then he goes on in the rest of the meal, they eat together. Now, we didn't take a lot of time here this morning to go through all that it represents, but I do want you to understand that this Passover Seder is the context for which Jesus says, I want you to take the bread and I want you to take the cup. This isn't just a New Testament thing. This is something that from the very beginning of the book of the Bible, God had planned. You see, as we come through the book of Genesis, 
again, you, you're wondering, man, that, that plan that God had kind of got wacko. Like there are people doing some really weird things, and I'm sure that's not what God had in mind. And yet, at the, at the beginning of Exodus, God begins to map out a picture. My wife says she loves to have pictures because she gets pictures more than she gets words. And God says, I want you to see a picture of what I'm going to do. Now, it was a literal people that he rescued out of Egypt. It was a literal ransom that he paid for them as he brought them out. But it was to paint a picture to something even greater than just the people of Israel. It was to paint a picture of all that God was going to do for his people on their behalf through Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're in the New Testament now, and we're, again, a few years removed. Remember when we talked about, hey, if, if you were an Israelite, that first one was probably a huge celebration, lots of parties, lots of fun, lots of remembering. As you move on through the generations, yeah, not so much. Take it or leave it. Jesus had that first Passover, and I'm sure probably that first one with, with the the disciples, they're going like, eh, I don't get it. But imagine that first one after he had died on the cross and now he's risen from the dead. Like that first one must have been really, really special. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Like that's not a long time from when Jesus said, here's what I want you to do in remembrance of me. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I, I will not. We are not that far removed from when Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And now the church at Corinth, they've forgotten all about Jesus. This is just a, a time to get together and party. And there are families that are getting together for this. Again, remember, it's a meal. It's not, it's not just this... Uh, formal ceremony thing. It's a meal that they're sharing together. And there's groups over here that have way too much food. And there's groups over here that don't have any food. And there's groups over here that are drunk. And there's groups over here that they're just talking bad about everybody else. And Paul is saying, what in the world? What are you doing? For I delivered. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, that third cup of redemption, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until, not Jerusalem, but until he comes and he gathers all of his people together for that last celebration. 
What I want us to remember this morning is communion is in the context of something that was like from the very beginning. This isn't something that's just made up for us. This is a picture that God was painting through history that there was going to be someone who would come and redeem his people. But this picture can get so mundane. It's something that we could do just, it's the last Sunday of the month, here we go. Just like the nation of Israel, that powerful event when God rescued them. How many years later would it take for them to go, eh, I can take it or leave it. We're in the same place. And if nothing else this morning, I just want to remind us, as the songs have reminded us, this is a great story that God has begun in the Garden of Eden when he said, I'm going to destroy the enemy. Now, he's going to nip at my heel, but I'm going to destroy, I'm going to crush his head. And the story was ongoing, and we tried doing things our own way, but until Jesus came and he died upon that cross and he rose from the dead, there was no other way. And when Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you, and this is my blood, the blood of, my co- of the new covenant, he's helping us to see that everything that was, was before him was pointing to Jesus. And he did it because he wanted to rescue us from our slavery to sin. He did what we could never do for ourselves. So with those thoughts in mind, I want to encourage you to eat the bread and drink the cup, remembering what Jesus did. God, it is so easy for us to go through the ritual and forget who we were, forget what you've rescued us from, forget the price that was paid, forget the freedom that we enjoy now. There's so much that we forget. God, thank you for giving us this this visual reminder of what Jesus did on our behalf. And God, I pray this morning that you would use this time together to, to put this time into, into perspective to give it a little bit of context but as well God use it to encourage us to take this from here and to live with this in mind may it be more than just a remembrance that we have on Sunday mornings but I pray that it will cause us to remember it throughout the week this week and next week and God as we've as we remember it month after month may it help us to never forget God keep it in our minds from just being a ritual we need your help We can't do it ourselves. So God, we beg you to make it important to us. In Jesus' name, amen.